I'm, uh, although the idea of 50 years together sounds great, I actually, let's give some honor to your pastor. I'm thankful that I've got some big brothers in the ministry like your pastor. Do you appreciate your pastor? I know I do. Um, I know something to be true about Tim. Nobody, nobody loves more. No one prays for more. No one believes for more. No one cries more. No one contends more than he does for this church. And that, uh, that is a fact. And the leader you want to follow is somebody who you know will give the most. He will sacrifice the most. And so he is, uh, he is the man for the job. Amen. Do you appreciate your pastor? Come on. Let's give him some honor. Yeah. All right. I'm going to get you uh, one other thing I want, I want to honor is God's word. And so I'm actually, I know you're all comfortable. Those chairs are scary comfortable. So I'm going to have you stand for one minute. If you have a Bible, I'll get you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Anybody bring a real Bible to church? Yes. Some of you have iPhones. That's fine. It's just Jesus loves us who bring real things, real Bibles. He loves us more. It's in there somewhere. I don't know. Not true. Not true. If you're new, that's, that's sarcasm. That's sarcasm. Sometimes my sarcasm gets missed. Ephesians chapter 6. I want to dive right into this. Tim told me I only have an hour and a half, so we need to, uh, we need a boogie. Ephesians 6. Look, I am privileged to be here today. I'm excited just to encourage you. I just felt like God wanted me to bring encouragement in, in, in the true sense that we leave here encouraged, like we leave here empowered and we leave, leave here feeling like we are more than conquerors. That sound good? Do you love the word of God? I do. I love it. So we're just going to, we're going to unpack Ephesians chapter six, if that's okay. You awake in the balcony? Yes. Awesome. All right, here we go. Uh, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. If you have it, let's read it. Uh, Just follow along with me. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we come to your word today and we say that it is truth. We declare that it is life and that we are listening. Now, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in the deep places? Would you encourage us like only you can? Would you reveal your truth to us like only you can? And let let us leave change, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Before you sit down, why don't you turn to two people around you and tell them, I'm armed and dangerous. And then you can sit down. All right. We got some believers here. That's good. That's good. I watched Pastor Lennett's sermon there a couple weeks ago. I know you can be loud, so we're going to do that today, all right? Have you ever been in a fight? 
No, no, no. I'm not talking about lobbing passive-aggressive statements on Facebook. I'm talking about an actual fight, like fisticuffs. Have you ever been in a real fight? Wow, lots of fighters. My goodness. That's the, that's the Petakodiak crowd talking, I think, isn't it? Of course, I did last night. Yeah, I, believe it or not, the, the preacher, the guy who is paid for a living to read and talk, believe it or not, I have not been in a lot of fights in my day. I know it comes as a surprise. I look like a, just a destroyer, but uh, I'm not. I was in one fight, and it wasn't even a real fight. It was for fun. Uh, my friends and I was a teenager. I was living in the streets of Marysville and Fredericton, you know, the hood, the projects. And uh, we, were, uh, we were just playing together. My friend Matt, he was the hockey star in town, like just total stud. He just was the best on the Fredericton rep team. And he, he, we, we decided to play this game called Helmets and Gloves. Anybody ever play Helmets and Gloves? It's what, you, it's what stupid teenage boys do when they have too much time on their hands. We, you know, you put on your hockey sweater, you put on the hockey gloves, and you put on the hockey helmet, and you strap the cage on, and then you beat each other. That's what you do. And so my friend Matt is the hockey guy, and me and my other friends don't play hockey, and we don't really know how to fight. And so my friends, one after one, step up against my buddy Matt, and one after one, just in a flash on their back. Just, he's just shredding people. And so I, I'm there, and I, I mean, I peaked in grade 9. I was one in grade 9, and so I was a big boy. I was about a foot taller than Matt was, and so I thought, you know what, enough's enough. I'm going to get in. I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. And so I put on the helmet, I put on the gloves, I put on the, the sweater, and I step up. And somewhere between that last step and my last thought, I found myself on my back. He, like, grabbed across my shirt and pinned my arms and was just smoking my head like this. I learned something that day, and this is what I, I tell all this to tell you this, that it takes skill to fight, that actually there is a way to fight. Talk to Pastor Drew about it. Pastor Drew, he's, he's the MMA guy. I'm not going to talk about MMA today, but I do know this, that there is skill involved in fighting. Those guys aren't just brutally beating on each other. There's actual tactics and knowledge and strategy attached to being a good fighter. Is there not? I know this to be true, and I want to talk to you today about fighting, but fighting the fight of faith. And it's true in our fight of faith that it actually takes proper knowledge. There is a way to live in victory as a Christian. And a lot of us find ourselves getting our butts kicked because we don't know how to fight the fight of faith. I want to talk about that for a few minutes. You started the series last week called Going Viral. I watched the sermon. That was powerful. If you missed last week, check out Pastor Tim's sermon uh, on the first uh, episode or sermon from Going Viral. It is so powerful. And at the end, he gives some vision where he dreams of what it looks like when revival happens here. You need to, you need to listen to that and you need to soak it in and marinate it and own it. That is so powerful. But in his sermon, I loved it. I felt charged and energized to be part of this uncertainty unstoppable force that is the church. And he talked about from the book of Acts right up to present day how despite what came at the church, that leaders and churches and people who believed in Jesus have not only survived, but they have thrived. It has been this virus that has spread and will not be stopped. And he talked about that last week, but I, I, if you're like me, something happens when you come to church. It's super easy to come to church and talk about these things and see yourselves as part of this movement, this unstoppable force. But when you leave this place and you get back out into your day-to-day -day life, you don't feel like that unstoppable force that you talked about in church. 
Like a lot of the time, it feels as though I'm actually uh, not an unstoppable force. In fact, every force in this world is stopping me, and I am getting owned, and I find myself on my back. I want to talk about just fighting the fight of faith and walking in victory. How many of you know that you are an unstoppable force? The Bible actually declares this, but I want to actually show you how. I don't want to just give you scriptures that you need to trust that you are, but I want to show you and break it down here in Ephesians 6 as why Paul insists and how he insists that you are to live in victory. So let's dive in. We read this about uh, Ephesians 6 here at the end, and it's talking about the fight of faith. And Paul is insistent that you are going to actually be able to live in victory, that you're not just going to set out to live a life of freedom and then find yourself getting pulled back into bondage? Or how many of you ever set out to live a life of forgiveness and you, you try to forgive that person and you, you know that the Bible says that you're supposed to be a person who forgives and you try to do that and then you see that person and all of a sudden you're pulled right back in to that same old heart set. Have you ever done that? Maybe, maybe for you, you know, you're supposed to be a person of faith, but then when push comes to shove, your faith is small and your fear is great. There is a way to actually live a life of victory. And Paul breaks it down right here. Are you ready? I saw Pastor Lennett's sermon and I know Lennett Anderson, but I know you can talk. So here we go. Ephesians 6. I'm going to break it down. We're just going to do some midsummer Bible study. And I promise you, this will change your life if you put this into practice. Ephesians 6. So Paul says this. Take up, therefore, verse 13. Take up, therefore, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Verse 14. He says, stand, therefore, having... Fasten the belt of truth. Now, before we dive into fasten the belt of truth, I want you to look at this word, having. First, Paul wants you to understand what you already have and who you already are in Christ. He wants you to know what you have, that there are things that you have to realize in order to walk in victory. That largely living in Christian victory is about right believing, not right doing. It's about believing the right things and understanding the right things. So Paul says, there are things that you have been given in Christ that you need to be aware of if you are going to ever fight the fight of faith. You need to know that you have these things. To be able to fight, your victory starts in your mind. It starts in your mind. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your efforts. No, he said by the renewing of your mind, change how you think and it will change everything. So he says, you need to know what you have in Christ. And he starts it out by saying, fasten securely this belt of truth. Now, when Paul wrote this, he was actually in jail, literally in jail. And he was very likely, highly probably looking at a Roman soldier as he was thinking about this letter and writing it. And as he looked at this Roman soldier, he picked out different components of his armory and attributed it to the, to the weaponry and the armor that God gives us in Christ. And so he breaks them down and he says, first and foremost, and this is in order. You need to understand this. Paul does nothing arbitrarily. Everything is strategic. It's all there in order on purpose. And he says, fasten the belt of truth. Now, if a soldier's belt, for us, I mean, if, if you're a skinny person, you know how critical a belt is. But most of us don't really need a belt. Come on, right? Now, for a soldier, 
A belt was an absolutely, it was the critical component to the whole thing. Now you look at a soldier and you think you need your sword, you need your shield, the belt, that can go. You don't really need that. Actually, for a Roman soldier, the belt actually fastened everything together. Everything was hooked into the belt. So when he put his belt on, it signified that he was ready and it held everything together. That's what you need to understand about this. So he says, fasten the belt of truth. Your ability to stand and fight the fight of faith actually begins with whether or not you have the unshakable conviction of the truth of God fastened. It begins with God. Your fight actually begins with the truth about God. Your victory starts with the truth of God. This constant surrounding reminder and conviction that there is a greater reality going on than what I see with my physical eye. He says you have to begin with the truth about God. And here's what I know to be true. If you're like me, it's really easy to fasten the buckle, the belt of fear, isn't it? It's really easy to fasten the belt of failure. It's really easy to fasten the belt of statistics or history or things that have happened to me. It's really easy to do that. But what he's saying is you need to fasten yourself to the truth of God before anything else. It begins with who God is. You don't run into battle. Get this, Moncton. You don't run into battle sizing up your enemy. You run into battle sizing up your God. And then you size up your enemy. It all comes under who God is. So he says, you have to begin. Do not. You will fail out the gate if you don't start with who God is. It begins with who God is. We start our battle. We walk in victory by first putting on the belt of truth. By buckling in to God's goodness. By buckling in to God's power. By buckling into his, his reality, his truth, his faithfulness. All those things. You start by reminding yourself who God is. See, because Satan wants to come at you, how? When Satan attacks you, it's primarily through one method. He has all kinds of things he'll do, but the enemy comes specifically in what? Lies. Jesus said the enemy has been lying from the beginning. You saw, right, you go right back to the start of the Bible in Genesis. You'll see how he attacked how he attacked Adam and Eve, how he attacked Jesus. It's through lies. He is a liar. He comes to distort and defy your knowledge about God because what you believe about God establishes how you will live your life. And so if he can twist it or dilute it or pervert it, that's what he will try to do. Second Corinthians 10, Paul's talking about this same thing. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now watch this, verse 5, he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. The enemy wants to raise distorted truths and arguments and lofty opinions against what you know to be true about God. And so Paul says, so we take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. That's what it means to put on the belt of truth. It's deciding whose word will encompass you. Whose word are you locking into? Is it God's word or is it the word of fear? Is it God's word or is it the word of your past? Is it God's word or the word of your friends? Is it God's word or the word of your doctor's report? Is it God's word or the word of your bank account? Whose word are you locked into? He's saying you got to lock in to the belt of the truth about who God is. I think one of the best examples of this in the whole Bible is Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
And this story kind of gets diluted in our Christmas, our Christmas fun. But if you read the story, you'll see a very raw, very real human story where this young girl finds herself pregnant and her world is about to be flipped on its head. She's going to be thought of as someone who is sleeping around outside of marriage. She may lose her husband. She knows nothing of what's going to happen next. But what does she do? She doesn't worry. If you go back, you look at it when you go home in Luke chapter 1 or 2, somewhere in the front. The magnificent Mary's song. What's it tell us she does? Instead of worry, she worships. She goes to worship. Instead of freaking out like, oh, how am I going to convince Joseph? How's Joseph going to go with this? How am I going to provide for this kid? How am I going to? Instead of going to that, she goes to, my soul magnifies the Lord. For you have been good to me, and you have helped me, and you have scattered my enemies. She goes to the truth about God. She begins, she gets her bearings right there in her core about who God is. So when challenge comes, when something comes to you to challenge your faith, you come back at it and say, I know who my God is. You buckle into it. When your life is challenged, when your health is challenged, when your finances are challenged, when your relationships are challenged, you don't meet the challenge with human logic. You meet it with the belt of God's truth and who God is. And everything comes into subject to that reality. Put on the belt of truth. Begin with right belief about God. Get this. Tweet this. The battle begins with buckling in to the unshakable conviction that my God is God. That he is good. That he is true. Put on the belt of truth. Then he goes further. Let's keep going. This is awesome stuff. This keeps getting better. Look at this. And then he says this. So stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the second piece that you would put on if you were a Roman soldier was this breastplate, this chest piece, this iron thing that would cover your chest and it would protect your vital organs. Even today with all of our medicine, if you get a wound in your heart, like a stab wound, there's not a whole lot that can be done. And it was critical back in the day where Paul was writing this. This was one of the most critical pieces of armor was this breastplate. Now Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect your vital organs, to protect your heart. You put on the righteousness of Christ. He's talking about remember who, whose righteousness you wear. Remember by whose grace you have been saved. When you live in this life, Remember, it is Christ's righteousness that rests on you, not your own works. You see, what happens is if the enemy can't come along and twist your thoughts and make you think wrong about God, he'll move next to, think, to make you think wrong about yourself in Christ. Like if he can't make you think that God isn't someone who isn't what he says he is, he will try to make you think that you aren't who he says you are. And so he'll move to that tactic and he'll try to distort and he'll try to convince you that you are just a sinner, that you are hopeless, that you will never be free from that addiction, that you'll always be marked by that shame, that you'll never walk in victory, that sin will always have you, that you will always suffer from that issue. He's trying to convince you and condemn you that you aren't who God says you are. So Paul says, put on the righteousness of Christ. Let it cover your heart having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what does this mean? There's this theological term called imputation, imputed righteousness. 
that God, through Jesus, this is the gospel, this is the good news we believe in, that God, through Jesus, through the cross, actually took the righteousness that belongs to Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus did it perfect? Jesus never sinned. He didn't even cuss when he stubbed his toe. Like, he never sinned. The Bible says that he died on our cross, that God took our sin, our shame, our failure, our propensities, our sickness, and he put it on Jesus, and he put Jesus' righteousness on us. So that when God sees you and when God sees me, who does he see? He sees Jesus. Wow. God sees Jesus. Look at this. Romans 5, verse 1, Paul again saying, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified. What does that mean? Easy way to remember it is just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. When God looks at me, if you are in Christ, God sees a perfect track record. Isn't that incredible? Like, uh, now what, what happens is, the enemy wants to come in and he wants to tweak that. And he wants to think, well, yeah, but not really. Like, you wear the righteousness of Christ, but really God is keeping a big list and making sure you're naughty or nice. Like, he's watching. Like, the enemy wants to come in and condemn you. He wants to pull you back into this works-based mentality that tries to appease God and make God pleased with me. But the Bible insists, and this is why Paul says, do not run into battle without first knowing whose righteousness it is you wear. And we struggle with this, don't we, church? Christians, I do. All the time I find myself floating back into this condemnation when, when God has actually, in Christ, freed me from condemnation. Let me, let, me, let me make an example here. Imagine two different days. On day one, you wake up in the morning and, and you, it's like 5, 12 a.m. And you hop out of bed and you don't even need breakfast. You just want Jesus. And you like go to the, your prayer corner and you're on your face for a solid two hours praying in tongues and angels are floating over you. And then you get up and you make your family breakfast and you actually multiply the bread and the loaves and you're just like crushing it, man. And then you leave and you put on your Christian radio station and people cut you off. It doesn't matter. You're just loving Jesus today. And then people are, are, are you, you find yourself one later on just prophesying to somebody and you raise the dead person and you're just killing it for Jesus. And you go home that night. You don't even need supper. I'm going to fast. And you fast and then you go to bed and, and uh, an angel chorus sings you to sleep. Day one. And then day two happens and you sleep through your alarm and you pull it out of the wall and you throw it at the cat. And you're late for work and buddy cuts you off and you flip him the bird and you cuss. And now you're wondering if I'm even a Christian anymore. And then you go home and you drink your supper. Now here's my question. Which of these two days in Christ is God more pleased with you? Everything in you wants to say the first. I know it. I feel it myself right now. Even as I'm giving this illustration, there's a part of me that wants to say, well, really though, really though, the first. No. The Bible says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. That in Christ, you actually wear the righteousness of Christ. Now, if you really understand that, that will change your life. This isn't some excuse to just live how you want and say, well, I'm righteous by faith. No, it's understanding that when God sees me, he sees Christ and that changes a person. So he says, put on the righteousness of Christ. Paul would have known this better than anybody. The guy writing this, Paul, he would have, he would have known this better than anybody. This guy, like, hunted people, Christians. 
Like, he hunted them down, imprisoned them. He, he officiated while they were executed. Like, this guy hated God's church. He would have had to battle with that. Can you imagine the condemnation, the thoughts, like, as he's preaching to, to, to the church after knowing his history? Can you imagine the room for the enemy to just say, yeah, imagine they knew who you really were. Yeah, but I saw you when you were throwing those stones. I saw you when you were imprisoning them. This is why, look what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He says, I am the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But look at this. Someone needs to hear this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's not by my works. It's not what I did. It's by the grace of Jesus. It's radical, isn't it? It's radical. It's not even fair. It's just amazing. It's the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am who I am. I am what I am. You will never walk in victory until you know whose victory you walk in. You will never walk in victory until you know whose victory you walk in. You don't walk by your track record. You don't walk in your authority. You don't walk in your strength. You don't walk in your good deeds. You walk in the rightness, the righteousness of Christ. That should free you up a little bit. And it says this. It says, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Of peace. Now he's speaking about your shoes here. Now a soldier's shoes were a little more heavy duty in his day. They had like cleats and they were crucial to going into battle. And actually, those shoes were actually one of the re- main reasons that the, the Roman army were so separate from the rest of the armies of that day. They had the technology, one of which one piece would be the shoes. They had footwear and footwear is a game changer. Your feet being comfortable is a game changer. Anybody like snowmobile? Any snowmobilers or skiers? Okay, I know every, this will be everybody. Any snowblowers? right? Shovel. We all do that. Nobody's complaining about the heat this summer, right? Eh? I think we had it beat out of us last year. We're just like, it's okay. It's okay. One thing I know to be true though, I'm fine outside. Like if my head's a little cold, if my hands are even a little cold, I can warm them up. But when my feet get cold, I'm done. I am going inside. Aren't, is that right? Like your feet actually kind of give you this stability and peace, don't they? And this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying having the peace, the readiness that comes from the gospel of Christ on your feet. And there is a sequential order here. Don't miss this. He says, buckle into the belt of God's truth. Put on the righteousness of Christ and then walk in that peace. Walk knowing that my past is covered and that my God is going to be good to me. Every day. He's saying, walk in peace. You walk in peace. You stand in peace no matter what you're going through. This is what Paul wrote in Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything. Sometimes I wish he didn't put anything. Because I can think of certain circumstances where I want to be anxious. Don't you? He says, don't be anxious about anything. As he writes from jail. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which blows your mind, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you, he's saying. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen this happen in my own life. I'm not an old man. I'm 32, but I've lived long enough and I've been a pastor for about 10 years now and I've been in enough hospital rooms and enough funeral lines and enough, I've been in enough situations to know that that promise is 100% true. That the God of peace will be there. Just recently, 
my wife and I decided to have another baby. We have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and I have an infant. We are nuts. I know. It's crazy. Um, but the, the week after we gave birth to my son, Alex, my baby boy, my, my friend, Josh, uh, he goes to our church back in St. John. Him and his wife gave birth to their son, and he died on the second day of his life. And it was tragic. It was brutal. And uh, the two days that he was alive basically have so impacted the hospital staff there that many of them have been coming out to our church to find out what this thing is that was going on. There are stories now about where, where Josh and his wife Melody were, were there in the neonatal intensive care unit behind the curtain, and there are uh, people who do not believe in God, doctors and nurses who are complete agnostics and atheists. They said, and we've heard them say, when you walked behind that curtain, there was something. Something going on there. I can't really explain it. It was just peaceful. I don't really know what it is. And I watched the peace of God carry that couple and that family just recently, just, just a month ago. The peace of God that passes all understanding will be with you. This is, why, uh, this is why David wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I have peace. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So he says, we're, on, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're, we're halfway. We're more than halfway time-wise. We're halfway scripture. All right, you ready? We're going to finish this off. He says, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. You got it on? You got on the breastplate of righteousness, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. And then he says this, verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Now it switches, doesn't it? Watch this. The first three things he says, and having. You already have these things. You need to know who you are in Christ. You have been given the belt of truth, that, that you have this, that you have been given the breastplate of righteousness. But now he says, now you got to take it up. These are things that you need to take up. You need to grab. You need to get. You need to go. How many of you understand that Christianity is not a sitting and waiting religion? It is a going and doing religion. There is a go in the gospel. Amen. Paul says in Colossians, he says, uh, Therefore, since you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him. Do it. Walk faith. Work your faith. There is a go. You need to go. You remember when uh, Jesus and Peter were together? Remember the story? It's in Matthew 16 where Peter says, You are the Christ. And Jesus says to Peter, On this rock I will build my church. And he says this other thing. He says, The gates of hell will not prevail. Last time I checked, gates are not offensive weapons. No, not good offensive weapons. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that we, the church, are on offense. That we're on the attack. That we're invading territory. That we're taking ground. We are the inquisition. We are the ones coming into darkness. That is what he's saying. He's saying, go. Take up, he says. So he says, take up the shield of faith. Now, a soldier's shield was used not just to block swords and spears, but actually in the days of uh, Paul when he's writing this, a Roman soldier's shield was fairly large. It was about this thick, had a couple layers of wood, a layer of iron, and then it was wrapped in leather, and it was made this thick for one reason. Because in those days, they would actually shoot flaming arrows at each other. Crazy, right? Can you imagine seeing a flaming arrow? Anyway. But what they would do with this is they could catch the arrow with the shield. And the shield was deep enough 
to actually smother the flame. It actually put it out. So Paul says, put on, take up, sorry, that's the shield of faith. Here's what the enemy tries to do to you. He tries to throw flaming arrows at you. Flaming darts, Paul calls them. He throws arrows of lies at you. God has deserted you. If God loves you, why would you be going through this? You can't trust his word. It's not proven to be true for you. God couldn't forgive you. His grace can't cover you. He throws lies at you. He throws condemnation at you. He throws flaming arrows of condemnation. You can't be forgiven. If they only knew the real you. He throws fear at you. Some of you deal with that like crazy. You're going to lose everything. You're going to lose everything. You ever have, you ever have just be driving along and some crazy thought of fear, like you're going to lose someone you love, just comes out of nowhere. You ever have that? It's a flaming dart. And Paul says, take up the shield of faith to smother it. Take it up. Take up the shield of faith. It's this absolute unwavering confidence in God. Faith fills the gap between what we see and what we can't see. It covers our doubts. That's what faith does. That's where you exercise it. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things seen. So having faith, exercising the shield is having confidence in God's power in spite of what you see. This is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? For Christianity a lot of the time. Because God actually loves that we walk in faith. It's actually part of it. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's part of the deal. You have to exercise faith. Some of you never experience God because you never exercise faith. You never take a step of faith. You never take a leap of faith or walk in it. This is where the rubber meets the road because we can see and feel the flaming darts, can't we? I can see that my bank account is dwindling. But by faith, I trust my God to provide. Right? I can see my loved one getting sicker, but by faith, I trust my God's goodness and he's able to heal. I can see uh, the, 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 my, the way my wife is looking at me now. And we've been talking to each other and it's been bad, but I trust that my God is able to restore all things, even this marriage. Faith says, take up the, field of, the shield of faith. The Christian walk is a walk of faith. It's invisible, it's hard, but it works. Faith works. Faith blocks the arrows and puts out the fire. It says, take up the shield of faith and the enemy cannot injure you. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 John 5, 18, everyone who has been born of God is protected and the evil one does not touch him. Just picture yourself that faith is like this force field around you. I'm, I am a nerd. I'm just going to throw it out there. I think about force fields. Yes. Teleportation. Yes. But just picture faith as this force field around you that protects you. Faith in Christ. And then he says this. We're almost there. Then put on the helmet of salvation, he says. So in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation. Now, it doesn't take a rocket science to know that helmets are important. If you're a video gamer, you know that the headshot is the fastest way to win, correct? Headshots, right. Well, in battle, your head cannot be exposed. And he says, put on the helmet of salvation. And we said it at the start, that this battle is won or lost in your mind. 2 Corinthians 4 says that the God of this age tries to blind the mind of unbelievers. 
That's where he's coming at you. Satan is going for the headshot. He's trying to twist how you think. So he says, get this, this is really cool. Put on the helmet of salvation. What does he mean? Now the word salvation in there is the word soterios. It's a Greek word. And he's not talking about the fact that you have been saved. How many of you understand that when you put your faith in Jesus, he has saved you from the past record of your sin? Amen? He has. How many of you understand that you are presently being saved right now, that God is transforming you into his likeness by his grace? That's also salvation. But there is another salvation yet to come. And it's this word, soterios, is talking about future salvation. It's talking about salvation that your life, your eternal life is secure in Christ. He's talking about a future salvation. What's he saying? He's saying put on as a protection on your mind that your life, your eternal life is secure in Christ. No matter what happens to me in this life, you are wearing this helmet over your mind that says, you know what? I may get sick and die. I may get tortured for my faith. I may have to do things in life that are painful. I may suffer. I might have to go somewhere. I might have to have that conversation. But no matter what happens to me, I know that when I open my eyes the next time after my last breath, that my salvation is secure. He's saying, put on your future salvation that you walk in it. Like living on the edge of tomorrow. You ever see that movie? It was like last year. Again, more sci-fi references. Too bad. Uh, Tom Cruise. He was in this movie called The Edge of Tomorrow. And it was like this weird sci-fi movie where he kept waking up on the same day. It was like this sci-fi groundhog day. And he kept waking up. And even when he died, he would wake back up to this day. And that over time, he stopped fearing death because he knew he was just going to wake up again. Well, in, in a certain way, this is how the Christian needs to live. We know that even if I die, I will wake up in the presence of Christ. We need that attitude, like Paul said, that said, you know what? Even if I die, it's gain. Even if I die, it's gain. You know what? Try and kill me. I'm just going to be with Jesus. It's, it really can't be that bad. It's this constant overriding assumption that the worst that you can do to me is take my life. I will live forever. He's saying, put on the helmet of salvation. Live like tomorrow is guaranteed because it is. This is what made the church, this is why the church has been so potent. This is why the church has gone viral. This is why, the, uh, you know, 80 years ago, missionaries would pack their coffin and they would sail to Africa. They would sail across the sea and they would live out their days there. Why? Because they knew that their whole eternity is secure. That they are saved forever. Romans 8, this is why Paul wrote this. For I consider... That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. It's not even, it's not even a comparison. He's saying, put on that assumption. Don't let what you're going through become the overriding thing that you think about. You think about heaven. You think about forward. You, you start with the end in mind. Some, sometimes you'll hear people say, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. That's not true. Christians... You are supposed to be heavenly minded. The most earthly good thing you can do is be heavenly minded. It brings the kingdom. Be heavenly minded. Think forward. It, it enables you to take those steps into the dark places knowing that my path is sure. Put on the helmet of salvation. You are immortal. You know, if you're a gamer, you have extra lives. Right? Ah, you're playing Mario. You got three lives. You'll take that risk. I got one more. Take some risks. You are immortal. And then finally this. 
In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, it is sure. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have a weapon. You have been given a weapon that you're not just supposed to be like bubble boy protected in this life and to walk forward just knowing that I've got some security around me. God actually gave you a lethal weapon called the word. He's given you a weapon. Now, when he uses the word word here, there are two words for word. Stay with me. There's the word logos, which means like understanding, revealed word. When you read your Bible and God says something to you, that's logos. But there's another word called rhema. And rhema actually means the authoritative proclaimed word. What's he saying? He's saying that God has given you his word to proclaim and prophesy and speak and deliver. He's actually given that to you to take authority in your life. He's actually given that to you. Did you know that I'm not the only preacher here? Like some of, us, some of us have a gift to actually preach to the body, but God actually gave you all a weapon. That you're all preachers. That you actually have the power to use God's word in your life and it changes things. It absolutely changes things. I'm the product of that. I'm the product of having people speaking God's word into me since I was this tall. My family, people at my church, speaking God's promises into me, declaring these things over to me, over me, praying for me. You have a weapon called the word of God. God has given it to you. Use it. Because this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to take it out of your hands. He wants you to forget this thing for two weeks, for three weeks, for a month. He wants you to not think about it, not worry about it. That's the only thing he can do against the word. Did you know that? The enemy, Satan, cannot stand up against the word of God. It owns him. So the only tactic he has for you in your life is to get you to not read it, not take it, not proclaim it, not believe it. He wants to take it out of your hands and your heart. That's all he's got. If you take this and you arm yourself with this word, you are armed and dangerous. You are armed and dangerous. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You are armed and dangerous. Where the word of God is spoken, life comes where there was no life. Where the word of God is proclaimed, life happens. Things happen that are impossible. Foundations shake. Chains break. Strongholds come down. That is what the word of God can do. Don't deprive your life. Don't walk through your life unarmed. You will never walk in victory until you arm yourself with the word of God. It is absolutely crucial. You are armed and dangerous. God has equipped you to live in victory. You need to know this. You need to believe this. I'm going to ask you to stand and I want to end with this. Do you feel armed and dangerous? All right. Uh, about a couple, a uh, few months back, I was, uh, we, it was actually Halloween. We were doing uh, our trunk or treat thing at our church. It's that community event and you've got people from all over the community coming. And I'm passing out treats and the line jammed up and I'm sitting there with these strangers and they didn't know who I was. They didn't know I was the pastor. And so I got to hear some objective conversation about the church. It was fantastic. But they didn't know me. And I was thinking about that after I was driving home. And you know what God said to me? He goes, you know what the problem is? It's not that when people don't know who you are, Brent. It's when you don't know who you are. 
That you fail when you don't know who you are in me. You forget your identity. That your whole life rises and falls on understanding who God is, believing who he says he is, and then trusting that you are who he says you are. It's knowing who you are. This is the reality, and I want to leave you with this. This is who you are in Christ. This is why we're going viral. This is why we are an unstoppable force. Look at these things, and I could go all day. I'll just do a few. John 1.12 says, I am a child of God. You are God's child. Can you imagine that? Like if I am not a perfect father, but if God is as good to me as I am to my kids, that's pretty amazing. I am a child of God. I am Christ's friend, John 15, 5. Romans 5, 1, I have been justified by God. We talked about that. 1 Corinthians 6, I am united with the Lord and I am one with him in spirit. You share the spirit of God. You are a temple of the living God. You house God's presence. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. I am his property. Do you know that God cares about his property? I have been bought with a price. I am a member of Christ's body. I am attached to the body of Christ. Isn't that amazing? I am a saint, a holy one, says Ephesians. I am a saint. Not I will be. I am a saint. Not a someday thing. I am right now in Christ. I am a saint. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Ephesians 2. Direct access. Boldly approach the throne of grace. God sees Christ when he sees me. I am complete in Christ, it says in in Colossians 2. Complete. There's nothing missing. In Christ, I have all that I need. I am forever free of condemnation, it says in Romans 8. I am assured all things work together for my good, it says in Romans 8. I cannot be separated from the love of God, it says in 2 Corinthians. I am certain that the good work that God began, he will finish and perfect, it says in Philippians. I am hidden in Christ with God. I am hidden. I am protected. I am high upon the rock, the Bible says. I am always and have always had enough grace for any situation in this life. I am born of God, the Bible says. Born of God. The evil one cannot touch me. I'm God's kid. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. More than a conqueror. Not just a conqueror. You know what the difference is? The difference is being more than a conqueror is when you make the enemy come subservient to you. I am more than a conqueror. I am armed and dangerous, church. Come on. Therefore, take up the whole army of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Thank you.